Welcome, and this is the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We are so glad that you are listening in today. As God's people, we are concerned with reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. If you want to learn more about our church, look us up on our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. Please subscribe to always get the next podcast. Rabbi Hugo Grin used to tell of his experiences in Auschwitz as a boy. Food supplies were meager, and the inmates took care to preserve every scrap that came their way. When the festival of Hanukkah arrived, Hugo's father took a lump of margarine, and to the horror of the young Hugo, used it as fuel for a light to be lit at the festival. When he was asked why, his father replied, We know that it is possible to live for three weeks without food, but without hope it is impossible to live properly for three minutes. Hope is jet fuel for the soul, and this world serves heaps of hopelessness. It is easy for us to wonder if there could ever be enough goodness to displace the hurts and heartbreaks in our lives. Without a doubt, God's goodness and promise to us is potent enough to overtake any hopelessness that we face. We must, however, work at holding on to the hope of God. Personal failure, a diagnosis of a terminal illness, broken relationships with those we love the most can cause us to despair and lose hope. Augustine of Hippo said this, Hope has two beautiful daughters. Their names are Anger and Courage. Anger at the way things are and courage to see they do not remain as they are. I think those words are very fitting. A follower of Jesus refuses to settle for even the best this fallen world has to offer. We proclaim the glory of God and the gift of His salvation. This is why, for the last several weeks, we have been reading about God's great banquet. The Bible tells us of the promise and the hope that we find in this banquet. Isaiah 25 tells us of God taking away the threat of death. Luke 14 proclaims that there is a place for every person at God's table. And Matthew 22 is a warning to us to not take our invitation to the banquet for granted. And today we finish with one final passage from Revelation 19, verses 6 through 9. Our text gives us a glimpse into the future of the church, the fulfillment of God's promises, the end of struggle. We see a moment of triumph, of joy, and gratitude. Hallelujah is the word that best expresses what we look forward to. Hallelujah. God be praised. I hope when you hear about God's great banquet, your response is joy, hope, and the word hallelujah. Blessed are those invited to the marriage banquet of the Lamb. For God reigns and He saves, and so we respond with readiness and anticipation in worship. Today, no matter what you are facing, you can be strengthened by the anticipation of heaven and the reigning power of God. So let's read the text in Revelation 19, verses 6 through 9. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roaring of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Then the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
And he said to me, these are the true words of God. So I want to start with where our text ends. Blessed are those invited to the marriage banquet, to the marriage feast, the supper of the Lamb. There's a beatitude at the end of time. Beatitudes are promises of hope for the faithful and for the downtrodden. In the Gospel of Matthew, we find the famous Beatitudes of Jesus. They begin with that word, blessed, or maybe you say blessed. What a word. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the pure in heart, the merciful, the peacemakers, and the persecuted. This is not a list of people who sound blessed. They kind of sound miserable. It's a list of people who are continually getting the short end of the stick. How can such people be blessed? Blessed might be a strange word for us to comprehend. Many of us, we hear the word bless and we think of being favored or being rewarded, getting something. And this might be true for some of the ways the Bible uses the word bless, but not in the Beatitudes and not in Revelation 19. Here the word is deeper and richer and more life-giving. Blessed, that word comes from the Greek word makarios, which carries with it a sense of happiness for being fortunate. And in the Bible, uh, the word carries the idea of being favored by God. So we could read, happier the poor. But that still doesn't sound right to our ears. But favored by God comes a little closer. This is where we must take a distinction between earthly success and heavenly fortune. And this is why the Beatitudes sound so strange and also so comforting. They give blessing to the broken and hurting, but they serve to warn us to look for blessing when we try to look for blessing anywhere but heaven. The writer Amy Simpson tells a story that uh, many people can relate to. Uh, She declares, Blessed are the unsatisfied. That's her book. She explained that for most of her childhood, her family was living in poverty, depending on food pantries, public assistance, and expired food. Her mother was ill, and Amy and her siblings had to shoulder a lot more responsibility for the family than most children do. When she got grew up and she got to college education and a good job and a happy family, she thought she would feel satisfied. When she wasn't, she was confronted with the truth that we were not made to be satisfied with the fallen and broken world. We will always hunger for more, and this hunger is what pushes us to place our hope in the future redemption of the world. And this is why we must remember, blessing is the promise of heaven. This moment that we are in right now, wherever you are in life, might be collapsing in tragedy, but the promise of heaven is sure. Eternity is secured if you follow Jesus. Frederick Holdren writes this, and it's wonderful about the blessing of heaven. He says, when the danger is greatest, the saving power also increases. Blessed. Those invited to the marriage supper live under the favor of God. That is good. The Christian life is a life of relationship. We fellowship with one another, but we also importantly fellowship with the triune God. When we confess that we believe in the Holy Spirit, we confess that we believe not in an idea, but in one of the persons of God. God gives his very self. Many Puritan writers would compare the gift of the Spirit to the light and warmth of the sun. As the sun itself 
gives itself its own light and warmth is shining in on us, so God gives us himself and the blessedness he has always enjoyed. He he does so in giving his son, and he does so in giving his spirit. His blessing is in giving himself to us. This favor, this blessing is freely given to all who would put their trust in Jesus Christ. Today, you can experience salvation and the promise of heaven if you would make Jesus your Lord. This is the blessing of God's banquet, the promise of heaven, the promise of goodness, despite the hurts of life. Now, if we go back to Matthew's Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 11, and 12 sounds a lot like Revelation 19. At least I hear echoes between the two. We can read Matthew 5, 11, and 12. It says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Revelation 19.9 is the fulfillment of that blessing. It says, The angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. This blessing is a call to be filled with the hope and happiness of heaven no matter what happens here on earth. Will you let yourself be filled with that hope and that happiness? This is how we become a people who proclaim hallelujah. So how can we have such a hope in the blessing banquet of heaven? What what really gives us hope in that promise? Well, it's simply this, and it's proclaimed very clearly after the word hallelujah, God reigns. You know, the noise of a crowd can be a powerful force. On a sports field, the crowd can energize the players or overwhelm them with cheers. Our own Ohio State is notorious for the power of its stadium crowd. Fans can be an overwhelming cacophony that keeps the opponent from being able to concentrate. And that stadium full of fans can let the whole city know when a good play just happened. Revelation 19 tells us of a far greater course, a far greater multitude than we can possibly imagine. The multitude of heaven crying out, the roar of many waters, the peals of thunder, a joyous sound, a symphony in heaven proclaiming, Hallelujah! The Lord God Almighty reigns. God reigns, and we must never forget this truth. And as the church, it is our job to proclaim often and loudly, God reigns, and with the reign of God comes his salvation, and salvation is God's answer to sin. Eugene Peterson offers a word of caution, because the world tries to minimize sin, and he calls that sin, the whole, uh, all the sin filling this world, he calls it catastrophe. And his words are these. Eugene Peterson writes and says, People reduce their perception of catastrophe to a level that is manageable, without getting God into the picture in any substantial way. And that is the opposite of proclaiming God reigns. We are to be a voice in this world, this world that wants to minimize God, we are to be a voice that says, no, no, hallelujah, the Lord God Almighty, he reigns. Peterson further warns that the world's alternative plan to God's salvation is a dangerous one, and that alternative plan is simply this, optimism. Typically, in our world, he says, we resort to moral optimism that says that enough goodwill can make the bad in the world right, or we resort to technological optimism, where the application of science and technology will alleviate suffering. Our world is full of these sorts of optimism. 
But there is no better cure to conflict, to suffering, to racism, to any sort of pain than the bold truth that God reigns. The marriage supper of the Lamb roars with the proclamation that God reigns, and we do not need to wait until we get to heaven to begin to proclaim His rule. It's our job now. So, will you take up the call to proclaim boldly boldly in every area of your life the reign of God? When you do this, God's transformative power will begin to soak into every part of your life. Everywhere you say that God reigns, He will begin to change things and grow things and bring about transformation. The struggles may remain, but they will fade as you clearly begin to see God's blessing for His people. The marriage supper of the Lamb is a tremendous celebration of heaven, and it tells us what we are to do now. And the things it tells us to do now, in addition to proclaiming God's rule and His reign, is it tells us to be ready. And to live with anticipation of worshiping God in heaven. So, we're to be ready. Verse 7 tells us that the bride has made herself ready for the groom. The church is the bride. Christians are the bride. And Christ is the groom. So, if we are Christians, we are to be ready for Jesus. And the chief way that Revelation 19 describes this readiness is by being dressed. Dressed in fine linen, bright and pure. And the text continues by saying that this fine linen is really the righteous deeds of the saints. First, I do have to say, because we often think of the saint as a person that's holier than everybody else, but saint is a title given to every single Christian. But what are we to make of the phrase, righteous deeds? I like how Craig Keener describes this fine linen of righteous deeds. He says this, that a bride is to wear wedding apparel beautiful to the groom, especially in the time of Jesus, in the time of John the Apostle writing the book of Revelation, a bride is to wear wedding apparel beautiful to the groom. And so the question arises, are you putting on righteous deeds pleasing that are pleasing to Jesus? Are you putting on deeds that are pleasing to you and pleasing to those around you? The great banquet of God is too wonderful for us to play around with preparations. We need to be about the business of righteous deeds that are pleasing Jesus so that we can be ready. The second thing is that we are to live with anticipation. We are to to be filled with anticipation of the worship of God. This comes back to the hope that we put in the promise. Blessed are those invited to the marriage supper of, of the Lamb. Can you say you anticipate heaven? Perhaps you like the idea of heaven, but really, you know, oh, heaven's great. I want to go there someday, but you really just want life to be better now. And that's understandable. But as we grow as Christians, we are to look forward with anticipation to heaven. One writer describes anticipation like this. I think it's a a good little illustration. Christian communities are a place where we can have a foretaste of heaven here on earth. What's a foretaste? Have you ever cooked bacon before? The bacon starts frying and it smells so glorious. And if you're lucky, maybe a nibble a piece or two before you are done cooking all that bacon. That's a foretaste. You're so excited about the meal that you're nibbling and eating little bits of food as you make it. Now, the BLT that the bacon is being cooked for will be even better, of course. That's what happens in worship on Sundays. When we worship in church, we're eating a foretaste of the bread of life, which we'll enjoy one day at the wedding feast of Christ. So, enjoy the present moment. 
And also as the church, when we gather together, we are to worship and anticipation as a foretaste of what's to come. But we are learn, learning to enjoy and anticipate the worship of God for eternity. Can we say that our worship right now is truly a foretaste of what's to come? Are you living with that sort of anticipation? The great banquet of God is a promise, a promise of blessing and hope. Death will be defeated. Sin will be vanquished forever. A place will be prepared for all the people of God. You can be a guest at this banquet. Will you follow Jesus? Christian, will you take up the task of proclaiming hallelujah? For the Lord God Almighty reigns. Will you do this in every corner of your life? Will you live in anticipation of heaven? I want to close with these words, a prayer written by the great British pastor and poet John Donne. And he was anticipating heaven and new earth that we will experience one day in the Lord. And he writes these words, Bring us, O Lord at our last awakening, into the house and gate of heaven, to enter into that gate and to dwell in that house where there shall be no darkness nor dazzling, but one equal light, no noise, no silence, but one equal music, no fears, no hopes, but one equal possession, no ends nor beginning, but one equal eternity in the habitation of thy glory and dominion, world without end. You're looking forward to that. That's worth saying hallelujah to. Let's pray. Lord God, today we declare that you reign. You alone have supreme authority over the heavens and the earth and over our lives. Help us to proclaim your majesty and your reign, your rulership, wherever we find ourselves. Thank you for making the way open to us to join the marriage supper of the Lamb. Help us to live in ways that please you. Lord, let us never falter in seeing your blessing of salvation. And help us to always share this good news with others. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus.